0: Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J Body. This is episode 60 Act 2. Melissa Friedman, The Pursuit of Synergy, recorded December 2nd, 2022.
1: Let's start it started up now.
2: Hey, hey, TA audience! Welcome to Teaching Artistry. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air, stewarded by the Canarsie and Muncie Lenape peoples in what is colonially known as Brooklyn, New York. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks for being a part of our global community. Help get us closer to 40,000 plays. Yes, we are inching our way there. And invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast player. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and head over to teachingrisg.org to access episodes, guest bios, our video series, merch, and more. So about social media. (laughs) Well, we took a break last month and we while we were breaking, we were working real hard, but we also lost access to our original IG account. So uh, we started a new one, and we would love for you to follow us at Teaching Artistry Podcast on Instagram. That is Teaching Artistry Podcast on Instagram. Okay, so in the second act, Melissa shares more about her own high school experience. Theater career and activism, as well as uh, the passion that we have. We have a conversation about the passion that we have for this work, and she is especially passionate about young people thriving through theater arts in live theater-going experiences, increasing, um, looking at increasing representation in productions for those young people to see and see themselves, as well as creating their own work and supporting or amplifying uh, their voices in in that effort. Here is episode 60 act 2 Melissa Friedman The Pursuit of Synergy. Remember earlier when I was like, "Oh, you like you light up when you talk about this work, your work." Um when I talk about my work, you people are like, "Wow, you're so passionate and it's clear how much you love this work." I wish I I wish I loved my work. You know, and there's this moment it's like, "Yeah, find find your passion, man." Like you're, whatever you're doing, if you're not loving it, move move on. <laughs> if you can, if you can. But I think, you know, that so I have I had a little bit less of the you're a saint and more like, wow, it feels it seems like, you know, what you do, you really love and you seem like it must be like very rewarding is what I get. Rewarding. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it's like, yeah, and it's hard and it's challenging and it's all, all sorts of things. But it's like it you're in it because of that like there's something that speaks to your heart and you you gotta, you gotta keep it, keep it going.
3: It Um, is so hard. It is. It is very
2: hard. It's very hard. I I think. Yeah, it's very, very hard. And I think where I'm, where I'm standing right now is, um, I mean, I don't want to say precipice, (laughs) but I'm in a place where I'm like, you know, I work for an organization has a a good amount of resources and we, I think we could do lots of lots and lots of different things that still would feel mission aligned that we haven't tried yet. I I, you know, I keep pushing us. Um, the, the thing that I wonder is, is about policy, like, and you know, now that Russell's working with us, I know like he's a huge advocate and I know we, we as an organization have definitely been a part of advocacy and I want us to keep going um because he's such a strong um you know force in that way um so that I that, so that I, I was being dramatic about the precipice but just sort of like how can I in my current role have more um, you know in internal spheres of influence to 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 make some sort of dent on policy which I haven't, I haven't done. Like, that's not, that's not my, that hasn't been my thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I'm just curious, like what, with your program, um, you know, looking at, at, at you know, education and education issues, um, you know, where, where is the connection between the theater making? You're going to tell me, yay. Um, yes. The theater making and the actual like addressing and, and policy change.
3: Yeah there is a connection. We get in front of stakeholders and, you know, we've been credited by several really incredible uh, change makers and activists and organizations with really pushing the conversation forward around school segregation in New York city, Mm -hmm. uh, are, you know, the, the piece in particular laundry city, um, but uh, also a piece called "Nothing About Us," which is from the quote, you know, um, okay. "Nothing About Us Without Us Is For Us." And so uh, those pieces really impacted that conversation around school segregation, and were seen by the chancellor, the mayor, you know, just really had uh, captivated attention and got people thinking. I, I think that. You know, we did this incredible performance of a piece called "Overdrive" in front of three thousand educators and policymakers in, at the ERA conference in Toronto, just not in 2020, but 2019. Um, and it was about about test taking, standardized tests. And we had people coming up to us all over who have those some decision making power and some policy writing. Responsibilities come up to us, saying it it shifted something in them, deep within them, their way of looking at this work. And you know, I'm not trying to say like, oh, SATs are 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 optional in a lot of places, and people are questioning SATs because of Epic. But I feel like there we have participated in a push in a movement. We have been in front of these students, the young voices have been in front of these change, these people with power, these people have the ability to like really right change into law, uh, into policy Mm -hmm. in terms of school segregation, in terms of testing and uh, in terms of other really key issues. We have a piece right now called Fixed about um, anti-CRT legislation. Mm. Just had like premiere of of that piece in front of hundreds of principals and from all across the country and uh, you know, that's, and they, you know, people are coming up and they were speaking their truth about it and they were talking about it. And these pieces are all based on interviews. Um, my, my colleague co-artistic director, Jim Wallert, uh, wrote a book called Citizen Artists, which really details the process of the work. Um, I'm, I'm in charge of the, the first year training of our Epic Next cohort. And when, then they work with him and, uh, other members of our company to, uh, work on these commissioned pieces. Although I've worked with those pieces as well, Jim is primarily in charge of, of that uh, development of that process. And I definitely recommend his book, Citizen Artists, which which kind of goes into, into the details of that. But I've seen it really change. It's not the only work we do. Epic Nice, we have the remix program where students reimagine classic plays and, and work together to devise uh, the connection between themselves and these pieces and speak to them through their work um, in these professional quality productions. And we, you know, have our playwriting program where the students get to individually create work that I co-founded uh, with Susan Kelechi Watson, the wonderful actress from the television show, This Is Us. Um, she and I founded this, uh, this playwriting program together, which has been in its like, it is is now in its fifth year Um, and so uh, we have all these different kinds of ways into helping to put a spotlight on young voice and, um, and to, in particular with the communities that we serve. And, um, and so, yeah, so policy change is sometimes the goal, um, or, or evaluation or looking at the nuances of the policy and considering the key stakeholders, which are the young people. So people literally will make policies without consulting the people that it most affects, which is nuts. And I think everybody in the room goes, wait a second, nothing about us without us is for us. Like, wait a second, we can't make decisions about zoning without hearing from the young people, hello, Um, right? So, you know, I, I worked on a piece about school safety with, with a, a group uh, in 2021, and it was really powerful. I wish they could be seen more, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's an intense piece. The students really go there about the experience of, of security and asking a lot of really important questions about security um, and why they're, why scanning is placed where it is and what its focus in, intention is about and as you know it's not just about weapons it it becomes another avenue to like find out if they're bringing alcohol in the building and so they can't they have to empty out the bottles of water before they come in and you know these (laughs) did you know that (laughs) yeah so it's like wait what is this about actually isn't there also a thing about like
2: if there are infractions like their their records actually start um so that if they have something that's happening outside of a school site, like they already have a a record.
3: Yeah. There's all sorts of Mm -hmm. history and policy that we uncovered in this research, including, because we, part of the process is researching like 30, 40 people, Mm -hmm. uh, leaders and policymakers and people at the DOE and all sorts of people. But um, we, uh, you know, there was an incredible Chicago has an incredible history with, school segregation wild i mean literally like police stationed in schools like they have an like a police station in a oh, school an
2: actual station that.
3: yeah no i don't think anymore but there was a period of time in which that uh, was the case and you know um and and principals telling stories about students getting cuffed in front of them and you know part of the reason being like they would uh, they used a like a a piece of wire in or a a, a pin in there to keep okay. their glasses together, mm-hmm. you know, and then end up getting arrested because they had like a weapon essentially in their glasses, and so, so really, uh, what what we uncover and discover, and asking students to decide what of what from what you heard, what is going to be verbatim. What is going to, and how do we showcase that verbatim? What is going to be transformed into a uh, poetic work? What is going to be transformed into, you know, comedic approach, a, a satire mm-hmm. of, of the piece um, in the, in the most current show Fix, there's this incredible scene where teachers are on this game show where they have to teach a lesson about, you know, um, they have to uh, about slavery without using, and then they are given like twelve words, like race, racism, like, you know, following like the laws in like Wisconsin and stuff like that, and they're they're not. and then when they they try to teach and then they get like you know, buzzed out and yeah. lose their license. um, and it's incredible. And these students they they've built this incredible way of of looking at it
2: that, I mean that's really powerful. It's really, really powerful. I'm kind of blown away by the work that y'all are doing.
3: One of the things that I think is important about what we do at Epic is we do direct action work like with Epic Next. We also want to make sure that we support the creative journey of our students and the joyful, magical exploration of what storytelling can be as well. Not that that doesn't have space in these touring pieces, but they're a little bit more direct action and a little bit more although they're not prescriptive, they don't tell people what to think. They ask a lot of questions. A lot of times people are like, ah, like the end of the school safety piece, people are like, I'm so torn. I I see it on this side, but I also see it on this side, you know, Um, they are not dogmatic. Yeah. But, and, you know, they don't try to, you know, we say that really clearly to the people who commission us, the organizations who commission us, we're not going to, you know, tell these students, they have to say this, you know, we're not, we're not going to impose that on them. But we also, in the remix program, I work with students who will reimagine the world of a, of a, of a, of a play, of a classic play and really use poetry and use, uh, their creative license to, to, um, to dream up something really big and epic too, you know, um, So I think that's, that's important to note that it's, it's one of our programs. Um, people are like, well, what is Epic? I'm like, well, you know, we named ourselves that intentionally, you know, we're we're big, um, you know, and, uh, so we have a lot of ways into, into the work. So just wanted to note that.
2: I love that. And, and what, um. You know, what would you say you'd want the next uh, fill in the blank time frame, 10, 20 years of epic? Like where where do you want the work to go in the future?
3: Well, I mean, it's just starting to go in a direction I'm very excited about, which is alumni led, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, where there are so many alums in classrooms right now that they are outnumbering artists who have not been initially trained by epic and um and i think the alums leading the way i think us training them and supporting them and helping them with their journey as teaching artists and as artists but then allowing that to shift and transform into them leading the way fully. Um, I want to see, I mean, my dream is really like co-leading until I'm su- fully supporting and getting to benefit honestly from being a part of a company led by the alums that we initially met, you know? So like I'm an actor and a, and a consultant in your company now, like, and you're leading it. Um, I don't like, if if we were to leave, I don't have any intentions to, but if I were to leave, I wouldn't want to do a, a higher like a, a national search. I would want it to come from our epic alum core and um and to to make sure that that, that dream is realized, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so it's really cool. It's really cool for like to watch Delisa or Amoy or Kayla or Liv or Xavier or Able to be. In the room and be like, "I went to this school, or I went to a school just like this, and I met Epic when I was in ninth grade. And I, you know, I'm here to talk to you about making this work and lead you through this process of of generating work both collectively and individually, and that that illuminates some kind of social issue, but also helps you discover your artistic voice. So let's do this. I, I loved it when I was your age, and I'm excited to lead you on the journey now and that for me really support all of our energies going towards that alumni network uh we're not only they're coming back as teaching artists but they're supporting and, and learning from each other all these generations um for the last 20 years that's another really big vision um and then yeah and then coming back to i think the pandemic took a little bit of the ability for us to fully balance our artistic output and our teaching output, we actually increased our teaching during the pandemic. Oh. We, we were, we never stopped. We literally, you know, a lot of people were shutting down. We were like, just like, we, I don't know. I don't know. We, we took like a day off or two days off and then we were back. Wow. Transformed that remix into a 19 part YouTube series called Remember Me. Um, it was a week away from first performance when the shutdown happened and we just did that Hamlet remix, uh, set in the El- Elsinore projects, fictional El- Elsinore projects. Um, and it was a YouTube series, remember me. And uh we were working with all of our partner schools in school on Zoom, learned how to do warm-ups on Zoom, did the whole thing. Um we expanded, we were able to reach to Tuckwillow, Washington and work with them through our remote programs and expanded, expanded, expanded. We expanded and tripled our remix program. And so now we're, we're like, we're back live, obviously, for the most part, although we are working one with one remote school that is entirely a remote school, um, which is, was founded by one of our former uh, principal partners who's amazing, Jerry Gray. Um, so, uh, but for the most part, obviously, we're 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 live. And now, I feel like we I'd like to see us find our way back to that balance of artistic and teaching work so that our alums, if not for anything, our, our alums could have more of that experience of that balance of getting to be on a professional stage and go back into the into the classroom and and teach what you're doing. So, uh, for so many years. I was a teaching artist for all of the theaters in New York City uh, mm-hmm. prior to founding <laughs> Epic, all of them. And um, I, I forgot, I would walk in, I'm like, hi, I'm Melissa, and I'm from, where am I from? Where am I from? Um, so, uh, and I would always be introducing them to the work of another, of other group of artists. And I'm an actor. I'm, I have my master's in acting, and I'm classically trained, and I I never got to be in the show that I was preparing students for. So part of Epic was going like, I'm in the show and then you're going to see it and we're going to rehearse in your schools and you're going to know that artist and it's going to be a powerful connection. And so I really want to get back into a new way of thinking about it because I'm not so sure about the off-Broadway world right now. I'm not so sure how that structure is working. I'm feeling a little bit like hesitant so some new way of, of, of working, um, in that professional context, uh, so that our alums get that incredible experience, that exhilarating experience of balancing those things. Like the way that Nalaja did when she was teaching pre-show workshops before No Child or before Pike Street and getting that, to be that bridge from classroom to stage.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's powerful. Um, I, I have many questions (laughs) Uh, because I realized we didn't, we didn't keep on with your chronology. Um, I I heard you say that you came to New York in 1996. So between 1996 and 2001, like, you said you met yeah. your husband in, in college. Yeah, I met know? him at Oberlin.
3: And then I was in the touring company for George Street Playhouse. It was like a children's theater touring company. Yeah. You know, got yeah. to do some children's theater. I learned what I needed to get trained in, which was vocal training, because I blew out my voice a lot on those tours and 730 in the morning performing for lots of children. And then I went to the Old Globe uh, in San Diego and got my master's in acting there with seven people in a class. It was an incredible experience. I learned a lot about mentorship there. My mentors, Rick Sear, Richard Easton, these incredible people who took me under their wing and really taught me a lot about about what it means to be a mentor and an actor. And and then came to the city and worked for all of the the theaters in New York um, as a teaching artist. And then I would go away and do regional theater gigs. So I would, I would book something and I sometimes had to say goodbye to my students. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I'm sorry, bye. you know? And also I didn't have Facebook or anything like that. Not that you're supposed to connect, but I would, I would say goodbye forever to students. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so one of the dreams of Epic was building lifelong potential mentor, mentee or relationships with our students that if they so chose, we could continue the journey for as long as they, they wanted, you know? So, uh, I wouldn't necessarily have to say goodbye because I was in residence at a school at Epic versus going and doing those residencies, blah, 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 blah. I would be like coming back year after year. I've been to every single graduation that urban assembly school for the performing arts has had since its founding. Right. And so, you know, I've been to what I don't, however many that is like 13 graduations or something like that. Um, so, um, you know, that's an amazing thing to be able to say, I'll be at your graduation when I meet someone when they're in ninth grade, you know? Um, so the, um, the, that, that was that, those five years taught me a lot about kind of, you know, trying to reconcile these two parts of myself and do I have to choose between who I am as an artist and who I am as an educator, and uh, I really kind of was leaning towards, yeah, I do have to choose. And I I didn't know what to do about that. And so the founding of Epic had to do with kind of this holistic approach, you know. So many times I think about paradigm shifts and I think about Liz Lerman. I love the way she talks and thinks about stuff. And I remember hearing her speak once at a, oh, what did they call them? The uh, ESP conference, remember those?
2: Yes, I I worked for ESP.
3: Yes. Um ESP uh she was a, a keynote speaker one time and she talked about you don't have to think about this work in silos. You know, you don't you can find those connections between things and uh, like you don't like um nurture and rigor aren't mutually exclusive, uh was was one of her big points. And that's been a guiding post for me over these years and it's something I say all the time when I'm training teaching artists and working with, as I do, I'm a mentor with the Arthur Miller Foundation. I work a lot with, as a mentor of, uh, of classroom teachers of DOE public school drama teachers. So uh, we talk a lot about that as well. So, so yeah, that time, those five years in New York was very formative in terms of asking a lot of questions about what do I want to be and what kind of what kind of company, what do we need in the city to, to build what's, what's needed, you know, and finding a place where where those things can live together in kind of a symbiotic way was, was one of the things uh, that we really, really wanted to, to establish.
2: I'm going to ask two questions and you can choose. How's that? Okay, cool. Question number one, door number one is how does this work feed you? Question number two is what big questions are you asking of yourself?
3: I'm gonna do what I always do, which is I hybrid that, you know, um, which is what fe- what feeds okay, what feeds me always is transformation. I love it. I love I love transformation. I love courage. I love watching. And getting to bear witness to young people being courageous uh, and uh, and that work and that curiosity. Um, but but in terms of the 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 questions I'm asking as I move forward is, how do I balance making sure that um, that I continue to vibrantly lead while also, really leaving space and, and um, really helping to facilitate a shift to leadership from our alums. I mean, I think that's, that's the big kind of question for me is wanting to really is passing the torch. is really just like, it feels like a super patriarchal metaphor. I don't like it.
2: Yeah, no I but I understand what you're saying, but I do think that there's a there's like based off of everything that you've been sharing, it's it's more about it's more like almost indigenous. Yes. That you're talking about like you you um for lack of a better term, like you becoming an elder, but st- so you're still there like when you said, you know, I'm here to perform in, in the work and to consult that's what an elder does, you know, they're still engaged, but they're not, and they're, and they're looked to, but they're not, they're creating space for others to step into leadership.
3: Yeah. I want to be like a really super valued grandmother, you know, like, you know, Um, and so I, I just, you know, I want to be there in the room. I think, I mean, I have their idols who I, I get to like, luckily be friends with the, the wonderful uh, Kathy Chalfont, um, who inspires me as an artist, the way ways in which she's moved into being uh, an elder in in the world, and inspired us, and vibrantly, passionately continues to, you know, really develop her craft as an artist, and for, has been doing so for so long. I, I want to be able to uh, applaud and provide wisdom when asked for. Um, but yeah, I think. You know, I just, I'm not really all that interested in the binary this or that yeah. all the time. Like, I feel like it's like, wh- why, you know, I want, I want to be a vibrant presence and I also want to support, you know, ask questions. I always, I was asking my, you know, team of teaching artists yesterday. I was like, Hey, so I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> what do you think I'm going to say? <laughs> you know, you've known me for 10 plus years. Like, what do you think I'm going to say? And they're like, you're going to say the thing about joy and I mean a, a nurture and rigor probably. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I just realized, yeah, I did say that. And then, um, yeah, I think <laughs> that's, that they, you know, so they were providing me with some things that you know I'll probably, I'll probably say at some point. But, uh, but I, I would like to, I'd like to offer up this idea that it doesn't have to be, you know, it's either me or them. You know, um, in in many ways, they're already leading the way. We look to them, um, but in terms of le- the legitimate, like title, executive director, all of that stuff, I would like a future in which our alums are those l- literal titles of if that even exists anymore within our company. I don't know, um, but that that would be a dream for the for the long term, and we're we're pushing and moving towards that. Um, that's that's the question. Wait, before you, before you continue, I did want to say that I'm a parent who loves the new victory. Oh. So my, I brought my daughter to her first show green sheep. Yes. Um,
2: I loved that show. You know, that's so funny. I was just thinking about that show. Why was I just thinking about that show? I I think I was a, a couple of weeks ago. I went to this conference, like I said, and um, we saw a, a show at imagination stage oh. and One of my my somebody that I also fangirl around, but I think is my I think is just my friend uh, is um, Idris Goodwin. Do you know him? Maybe he's a playwright. He's now the artistic director of Seattle Children's Theater and Green Sheep was produced by them. It was so good. It was sitting in that like little barnyard I mean I, you can't and we still have some of those sheep like you do oh. yes I think or we did I, I I don't know if we still have it but we we like to keep things in that education <laughs> and um I'm pretty sure we have at least one of those sheep but we, they they were it was such a good some of my favorite pictures favorite moments and memories were from that from being a part of that show
3: there was and then image i brought image into a bunch of things my daughter a bunch of things over the years um and i've seen so many things there and also she did a camp a oh, puppetry okay. camp mm-hmm. and it was the best teaching artist experience she had it was they were so amazing amazing and um but i th- i think that there's a real lack other than new victory of children's theater of excellence in children's theater in new york it's sort of shocking um it's a real like thank god for for new victory i i was like what's going on i would go to philly and see things at the arden like there's no like professional like stage and that has a children's theater stage like a legit stage in new york it's weird you know the arden i saw a professor in the flea there and it was broadway quality and imogen was five it was for her and it was stunning um and I you know I'm I'm I was I was shocked because I was ready to bring her to stuff and I was bringing her to things and I will not name where I brought her but really just terrible like like the flats you know what I mean like the painted flats and oh
2: you know it's interesting because we are in, in that conversation about like how do we continue to push but but we don't like it the it's a big, hard conversation, big, very, scary yeah. question around, like, how do we keep the production values high based off of what we know is right to be showing our audiences in terms of quality and, and by quality, I mean product, production value, not quality like this is good or bad. Um, and still, you know, push what kinds of 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 um, whose stories are being told on our stage you know, and, and there is a tension there. There's a great tension there. And, and we're, at least we're trying to have a co- honest conversation about it and keep pushing ourselves. And, and, yes. you know, it's, it's a, it's a, be- this is why I keep working this when I was saying earlier, when I was like, I'm at a precipice because like, I know I want to do things that I don't know if I can do while I'm at the new victory, but I love working on the new victory. Like, it's just, don't tell don't get me wrong, it's not like hundred percent perfect, everything's great and rosy. No. But it's always let me put it this way. I've I prior to working at the New Victory, I had not worked at one place for longer than one year. And I've now worked at the New Victory for nineteen years.
1: Wow. Wow. Um,
2: like that, that And it's not just because I'm comfortable. I'm often not comfortable. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm always and very often inspired and, and I get to work with amazing people. And this podcast helps me think. You were talking earlier about the, you know, the performing, feeding into the teaching and the teaching. This podcast feeds into multiple aspects of my life, including very, very fervently the work that I do and it's and it's
3: funny the the what feeds me is acting and directing yeah. is really what feeds me and uh i i sort of hesitated to answer that because it's something that i am i'm try I, you know i'm trying to find ways to find other ways to get back into it and I'm not just relying on on epic so i'm sort of putting myself out there a little bit starting now um <laughs> starting soon um <laughs> You know, just because I know that makes me a better teaching artist and that's also feeds me, but it only really feeds me when it's, it seems when it's in dialogue, you know? And mm-hmm. so I need to make sure that that other piece of me is getting fed so that I can come at the work in a way that's engaged and I have new stuff to bring, new thoughts, new ways of seeing, new ways of doing. Mm-hmm. Um Otherwise it gets, I'm, I'm just rehashing, you know, and I don't want to do that.
2: Is there anything, any topics that you were hoping we would talk about that we haven't?
3: Um, I mean, we haven't really. Ta- well, we, we have talked about issues around anti-racism, but we haven't kind of fully engaged in that conversation and i think i mean it's like just like we're winding down with that that's just a little bit bizarre like and just a little (laughs) just in closing what are your four give me four words you know
2: i know i don't i try not to employ those kinds of things but yeah i've 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 like re like reworked this question in several ways and i still don't feel like i'm asking exactly what i want but I, you know, in terms of anti-racism, I think it's really complicated uh, in a way that is beautiful and nuanced and important um and thinking about anti-blackness and very specifically like anti-blackness in our sector, right? So sometimes I get real it's very easy to get overwhelmed by the macro, so I'm I'm trying to figure out how do I ask this question where it's like about us? And so um Once upon a time in 2022, I was asking, you know, what would you, what do you think it might take to, um, to, to be truly, you know, living in a world that is liberated and racially just, and that felt like way too big. (laughs) So trying to bring it down is what, what do you think it, it takes to move us towards being, um, towards liberation in our sector, um, of arts and, and, and culture? Um, Yeah. What steps do we need to take to move in that direction? And and do you feel like we have?
3: Oh my gosh. Um,
2: In four words.
3: In four (laughs) words. No, (laughs) I don't feel like we have. I think it's, um, theater is really frustrating to me, and it has been for a very long time prior to um, 2020. (laughs) I think I was really floored when suddenly there was an awakening from all of these theaters all over the country. And I was like, really 2020, huh? Um, so I, uh, I think that the actions you take are, are really important and the way that you interact with people in every moment is really important, and a statement and workshops aren't enough. Um, they are important, but they're not enough. And um, you know, I I like on a really small scale. Like I find this where I I bring students to see, you know, all of the students we we uh, all the schools that we serve are like primarily black and brown, like by a lot, you know, because we're in the most segregated school system in the, in the country. So um, I'll bring the students from Epic Next primarily to see theater all the time. And I will ask theaters for tickets because this is, I'll explain, this is who I'm bringing. And uh, they are the next generation of theater makers. They are going to be the best audience you have. That's what every group of actors who, talk to us afterwards they're like that was the best audience we've had um and and we it's not we don't even bring that big of a group it's like 20 of us and we just transform the experience for the actors and i've had theaters just be like that'll be 30 dollars a ticket you know and i'm like what after that after that uh big old you know response to we see you um it, we're going to we're going to do that okay you know, I just find it appalling. I just, I do, and um, but I want to give a shout out to like MTC and the public. There are there are theaters that are just like, how many do you want? When do you want it? You know, we we go. I basically, if if something's playing at MTC or the public, I'm I feel like I, I don't want to say to the people who are listening like you can just call them and get free tickets. I'm just saying for this particular <laughs> group. Melissa said you could get free tickets. Um, no, uh, for <laughs> this particular group of of students and, and, and alums, they're just wide open. And uh, and so that's just like a tiny little example of me looking at the policy at a theater and going, wait a second, you're talking about diversity in your audience and you're talking about who sees this work written by a BIPOC playwright. And you have a, a group of a cast who is longing for the audience that includes our students and our alums. And you're asked and you're putting up a financial barrier to me so what is that statement what does that mean now you know so um that's like a, like a little like a tiny granular thing that impacts me on a on a somewhat daily basis <laughs> um I just think I just you know and I, I'm like should I do like a big call out about it and uh so I I don't know
2: can I, can I ask a, uh, this is a very pointed question. Um, you said that you had brought students multiple times to Hamilton.
3: No, uh, that's through their, um, ham edu ham. Yes. That's yes, not, yes. that's through I, I a understand. school I
2: worked at. Edu ham. And, and what, how much are those tickets? Do you know?
3: Oh, they're nothing. they're nothing. Nothing. Yeah. They used to be $10, but now I think they're nothing.
2: Can I, can I tell you a little story about that? That the, I'm glad that the, it's not, um, but the original plan, the original, like early, uh, early days of co- putting that program together, they were going to charge $75 and somebody in some way, somehow I saw it and I was like, what do you, what, if you have to charge anything, like he's on the $10 bill. Like if it has to be something. But also, no, don't charge anything. <laughs> so I'm glad that they're not charging anything because they shouldn't. They've made like millions and millions of dollars. You, you're fine. These students can see this for free. And I love that.
3: I, I may be wrong about this. My understanding is that because I know for sure they started with a $10. And I think now they've just.
2: I think, I mean, yeah. But that, but, to, to, you know, just from that one, like, very, very clear example, Um you know, it comes down to you know producing and revenue, and also, and they they think that thirty dollars um, out of whatever the the ticket price is, let's say it's one hundred and ten dollars. I don't know, one hundred and ten dollars um, premium. That that's a discount, but you're not taking anything else into consideration. You're just thinking about the bottom line.
1: What?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I- Exactly. I mean, honestly, for me, like if it's a commercial production, I I kind of understand. I'm like, well, they don't have a mission, they don't owe anything to us as the people. Like it sucks, but they get to decide. But with a not-for-profit theater, come on now. And you've just released a statement, you know. So I I think that for the most part theaters have been better about that since since 2020. Um but for me like it has to do with like who is on our stage like you were saying who's in our classroom who is being re- who's being representative who's representing the voices our students talk about representation all of all of the time and uh and it's and it's so powerful for for our students to see themselves in in the casting and the work and that goes back to like youth being at the heart so we did a production of a play called the winning side in 2018 and it's a play that uh, ostensibly is about historical white people, you know, but, um, it was not cast that way, you know? and and it wasn't the, I mean, the, there's a whole thing about color blindness and color conscious casting. And I think, of course, I, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of color conscious casting, of course, but I also think that in the in this particular case, it was important for us to make sure that our most primary constituency seeing the piece, got to see artists who looked like them on that stage, you know? Mm-hmm. And what beauty meant, you know, uh the the actors, you know, the 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 character of Werner von Braun was supposed to be just incredibly gorgeous, dashing, who was getting away with all of these things. And what what does that mean? The actor, I don't know if you know the actor Sullivan Jones played, mm-hmm. um, played him, and he definitely fit the bill. And, it, and the students had a response to that. And we could have tried to find a replica of this German dude but I don't think the students would have gotten the ethical dilemmas implicit in someone making terrible choices and getting away with it because of their charm and good looks, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so as an example, I think it's really, that's something that we're always just thinking about those students and thinking about where are we moving to in terms of like casting where are we moving in terms of how do we build audiences and I think for part part of the reason why off-broadway wasn't working for us was we would be really making sure our audiences were um diverse and were uh not monolithically white um and uh and they would, but the TDF audiences would sort of come through, storming through those doors, anytime, anytime they could. And so, um, so we um, nothing wrong with TDF. I'm a TDF member. I love, I love, I love the TDF. Um, but, but there is a certain constituency there. Um, and um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of ways in which we, for a very long time, have been, especially with the founding of Epic Next. I can't see theater without when I see it by myself, I imagine 20 of my students around mm. me and I look around and I count, like I do it, you know, I'm like, I literally am like looking around and clocking, you know, who's there and mm. and counting, not necessarily literally counting, but noting.
2: But I understand. Yeah, I do understand what you yeah. mean.
3: I'm yeah. Sorry. So uh, yeah. And we get offers to see stuff that I'm like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring students also-
2: i think that there's also when you talk about like who are you who you know in terms of embedding and thinking about how how are we developing audiences and how are we you know centering specific um representation and stories on on our stages and in the creative teams but also yeah the, the people working for those institutions you know how are those folks being treated um you know as as employees is a is another part of of the conversation indeed. In, <laughs> indeed 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 it is and then there's a whole conversation about the volunteer sector you know like why do you have volunteers as ushers that's that's why like that could be a job like could be a real that is a job like it's literally a job and you have you know people who <sighs> I don't know. I don't. I can't talk about it so much. But like you know, it's it, so, so, so. I I appreciate the how because you have a you have a um. Your experience is very specifically in the off Broadway and Broadway community, and your company is is so like. Like I don't know what I'm doing right now, <laughs> like in there, like in there, you know, and a and a part of it, um, or engaged or you know sitting. Near it, uh, you know what I mean, um, in a way that I don't, you know, I yes, our company is off Broadway, but like I, because we are presenting, like I never, I've never felt like, oh right, like I'm a part of the Broadway world. Like, does that make sense? What I'm saying, only because I, I haven't myself done as much acting in that world and as much, you know, beyond, you know, some work in the early in the early days, but i so i i understand like yeah theater definitely has farther to go and I was curious if you have had any um engagement with like black theater united
3: I would say you're saying you're affiliated we're not really anymore with the off Broadway world we last time we produced was the winning side in twenty eighteen and we really have not and then before then it was. Pike street, you know, and that was a couple of years prior to that, you know, so it's very much for us. We feel like we're kind of on the outside uh, of that community. Are you rejecting it? That's a question. I mean, I don't know. I think there are members of our Epic team who are yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I think it's, it's the, there's a lot going on for us with off-Broadway, and we're kind of trying to find our way to figure out what what is our thought and opinion about it. But I think we find ourselves more aligned with social justice groups than we do with theaters right now. and And that's why we're so we're presenting very consistently within schools, within social justice halls, mm-hmm. within community work. Uh, and so the theater itself is entrenched in a lot of, troubling stuff and they're working through it. And I feel like we've been asking those questions for at least 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't say that we've been doing it our entire um history in, in in we have in some ways, but I think we've been deeply investigating those issue, those those questions. Um particularly around anti-racism and DEI and uh and I just think that uh I don't know. I'm not sure if we're in it anymore mm. I don't know I don't know if the theater I go to the theater a lot at least mm. once a week it seems these days wow. sometimes more yeah I go to theater all the time I love theater but um but I also feel sad about some aspects of it and it's difficult to produce and the off-Broadway world is diminished there used to be when I when we first got to the the city there were a million vibrant mm. off Broadway companies, and now it's just like closed, 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 and it's just so hard to. The rents are astronomical for theaters. The audiences are, you know, it's hard to get people to come to see live work. Um, so it's it's really it's really tricky.
2: I really appreciate you taking me on, you know, the 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 journey um, and clarifying that point for me in terms of off Broadway.
3: We're very much interested in how to produce professionally, but we don't know if that community is one in which we will reconnect.
2: So what, is it possible to build a new model? You say you want to pr- produce professionally, like, like the, the the making the space for the alumni. Like, I feel like if, what if Epic was like, <laughs> we've got a new model and uh, of, of ways to produce theater.
3: Yes. We've had, we had our own contract with Actors' Equity, the Epic contract. And uh, it was interesting. We, we paid well, we pay really well. Um, We paid actors to work the requisite number of hours in a week, Mm -hmm. but it was a combination of teaching and acting that under an equity contract it was really cool. We did it for two seasons. And then it just, it didn't really work. It wasn't the financial issue. It was, it was just, it was partly a scheduling and a demand thing The the, it, it wasn't the right group of, I think, artists to, to do that with. I think, I think we would definitely be able to try that again now that we have alums engaged in a different way. It just wasn't.
2: Maybe the infrastructure wasn't quite ready
3: sometimes you know you have to try things again just because they fail in some regards in some regards it was very successful in other regards it didn't it didn't work um it might there might have been other factors besides the contract you know uh of why why it wasn't ultimately successful but um but i think that is one model is the integration the the uh, the model and the structure of the integration of the artist and the teaching artists into the contract in a union context. It's just that our union actors equity association uh, is is severely understaffed and they know it. They know it. Mm-hmm. And it's very challenging to figure out how to how to navigate that. And that's part of why we we, we you know, believe in paying people and giving them benefits and doing all the things we want to do. That's how we found it. We did not found our company and asking people to volunteer, we, our first production, we were on equity contract, you know? Um, So we, we believe strongly in that. That's important. Mm -hmm. It's very important. So, um, so we are, we are continuing to investigate the different kinds of models, but we're a little like wary of delving in, I think in this, in this particular time where things are getting shut down and, all the time. And, you know, it's just a hard time to re-engage with production. I
2: like to, I like to, what I've been trying to do more recently, not, I could get better at it or it could get better, um, is, you know, you get enthusiastic, you know, you can do something, you start to push and it's like, actually, mm, maybe no, maybe we plan for it. Maybe we start small, maybe, you know, like, let's stop pushing ourselves just to produce without actually taking the time to plan for it like think think about time differently in a way that makes things man- not only manageable but like helps you to think about care helps you to think about think through so that by the time we're starting to enact certain phases of a project for example we can be responsive and we can actually slow it down or speed it up. If, if it feels like, cause we've already done the pre-work as opposed to like very much what I was feeling in 21, which was actually twenty like right at the top of the pandemic, you said you, you were able to f- figure ourselves out and we figured one part of what we do <laughs> really, really excitingly. And it, it was epic. But then we, we struggled for a while where it was like, you know, um, and so i want to i want to learn from that in terms of innovation but i also want to learn in terms of like we get to rest we get to think and dream and not so i would like to offer that and it sounds like you all have something like that in in your schema um, but if if i i believe <laughs> i believe that epic could be like a real vanguard in in trying to make a new model for how you make work in new york city yeah um, because I, I and i wonder like you all have such a strong research mechanism of 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 the various programs that you have especially next um, epic next that you know learning from talking to other places across the nation to start to map out and strategically plan like what what could producing look like for us either adjacent or despite the current theater models that we have here in new york city i want i want to support that i want to encourage it too
3: thank you i think we're on the verge of something something to do with i think really solidifying our our touring and that leads us back to new york mm-hmm. um, that we're going to start doing more robust touring we do a ton of touring with our epic next yeah. but throughout our company and taking us on adventure. I love travel. I love travel. Mm-hmm. So I love the idea of, especially cause my daughter is, uh, is gonna be a senior next year. Uh, she's going to college in 2024. That's so crazy. Didn't you just say that you, you
2: when you start, like you started with something, that first play was, was that you were pregnant? <laughs> That's
3: so crazy. That's yeah. crazy. I know a whole, like she's 16. I know. She's amazing. She is amazing. And so, yeah. So she, when, when she leaves for college, I, you know, I feel like there's, that is also a dream of just being able to travel around and do things in different places. And, you know, I'm just a, I just love it. I love traveling. I love traveling with young people. We oh got we went to Toronto to do this play overdrive with her then high school students. Um, and it was so fun. Cause we like, they were like famous in Toronto, you know, cause they'd performed for 3000 people and then 15,000 like simulcast or whatever the thing is. And they were watching it in their, in their little bubbles. And, um, and so everywhere we went, they were recognized cause they were the stars of the conference and we were just having the best time. It was, there was such a great group too. Oh my gosh. Um, and, uh, and it's so, it's really fun to like see, see students who maybe haven't traveled a ton um have that experience of of seeing the a different part of of the country or the world that they hadn't seen it's really really fun
2: that sounds awesome you have a pretty cool job
3: it's pretty cool yeah you mentioned acting are you an actor
2: yeah yeah I studied acting um in undergrad I've i was working in a studio um but i I didn't go to conservatory um and i have done different projects like off off off-broadway projects over the years um right now i'm performing more in an improv troupe called um new york city queer playback theater which um basically uh, has a whole structure for audience members to tell their own story and then the performers play or enact their story for them using different improv forms
3: I'm an improviser yeah yeah I love yeah. it
2: yeah I, I it it's, been right now it's working for me like during the pandemic I, I hadn't really been doing anything and somebody invited me to like an open rehearsal and I was like what is this but it was all over zoom so I've only done it in a zoom space but so right here I also create, and, and it, it was something that, like you said, like what feeds me is de- definitely performing feeds me or being creative in, in a different way. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love acting, and actually I, I will say something that's scary to me, which is I I have always thought, you know, someday you're actually going to pursue being, like, an actor, <laughs> and I, I haven't because I just thought once I found um, educational theater, it was like, oh, this is this is feeding me, and I love this. And then I was able to do specific projects, like I mentioned. Um, and I'm coming up to the like the the uh, age that I sort of thought, well, I'll switch careers and I'll start acting. I'm coming up to that in like two years, <laughs> so I don't I don't know if that's I don't know when that is, but it is still uh like on the list of I would like to actually like change the percentages of my time and actually do this in earnest. Um,
3: You got to say those things out loud, right? Yeah,
2: I know. I know. It's, it's, it's scary to say it out loud, but it is true. I do. I do have this want and I, and I think I could actually do it if I could dedicate time to it.
3: I love it. I start all of the training for the last 10 years for Epic Next I started with, I start with teaching students uh, the improv skills they need to then teach the Harold, which is the long form improv. I say I do this, but last, this past summer, it wasn't me, it was Xavier um, for the first time. I I was like, really cool, you know? I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I did not teach improv.
2: Wow, yeah. Uh, and so yeah. the, in the current, in this current troupe, which is it's very, it's like deep listening. I get it is callback, but it's like, you can't, f- you, you're uh, unlike in another improv, you're not like at pulling other th- random things in. It really is about honoring the emotional life and the story itself. So you're not assuming and putting other things in. So it's a very different kind of muscle, a lot of empathy. It's, it's, it's really, really like, and yesterday we actually, we're just starting to segue into, um, uh, I think next year we're going to do, start doing work in person and we're finding other uh, playback theater is like a huge, like phenomenon. It's like a global phenomenon. Like there's different kinds of troops all around the world. Um, and so there's new, um, possible partnerships so we could work with somebody from here and, and we could be working with people here and in India because it's all on Zoom. You know, like we could be doing, like that's something that just sort of blows my mind and is very, very exciting. That said, we're also starting to do rehearsal in person. So we did rehearsal yesterday and I was, I was in a, you know, I'm, I'm having, I'm noticing about myself that I'm having some challenges with transitioning from one space to the other. Though I'm remembering, I'm recalling now that I, I used to be like that in the pre-time, it's just in the morning though. Anyway, so like I traveled, I got to, you know, rehearsal and somebody had a lot of exuberant energy and I was sort of like, I still like, give me a minute. I haven't had my coffee or what, you know, like that energy. And she was like, what's going on? And so anyway, so when we get into the room and we sort of slowly start getting into it and then I, I warm up and everything's fine. Anyway, when we're rehearsing, we are the ones who are telling the stories And sometimes they're, you know, light and we're just, but it's the way we practice. And somebody shared like a very personal story. And it was in those kinds of moments where the kind of caretaking in our choice, in our choice making, I'm floored by this group, right? I'm just floored. And then we had a big group hug after it was really beautiful, but it's just like, it's been a, um, some, yeah, Like I said, it's something that's fed me, but it's also like helped me to grow. Yeah.
3: Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I love that.
2: Well, you have been a delight. This has been very, very delightful.
3: Thank you. I've enjoyed every minute of it.
2: <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, we'll talk more in future. I, yeah. I'd I'd love
3: to hang out. I would love that.
2: Yeah, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you for like a really rich conversation.
3: Yeah. Awesome.
0: Thank you for listening to episode 60, act two of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Boddy, Melissa Friedman, The Pursuit of Synergy. Join us next time for a conversation with Caitlin McCain. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. John Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Find us on Instagram at teaching artistry podcast and yeah, now on let's youtube check out the teaching artistry with courtney j body channel and watch we can't go back like our page on facebook listen to us on soundcloud and spotify subscribe and rate us on apple podcasts and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life
1: let's start it up now let's start it up now who